Welcome to Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. This is the podcast where we explore the people and stories that make up the tech and venture ecosystem. Don't forget to subscribe, like, rate, and share the podcast because it really helps us get the word out to more people who are curious about understanding even more about the world of venture capital. This season of Nothing Ventured is sponsored by Odin. Odin helps angels, VCs, and founders to raise and deploy capital seamlessly. You can structure your SPVs and now run your funds, handle capital calls, portfolio management more smoothly and easily in one place. Founders use Odin to raise their entire round in a few clicks by simply sending investors a link and receiving investments immediately. Odin works with over 5,000 investors and over 150 emerging fund managers and angel syndicates globally. Head to joinodin.com to learn more. That's J-O-I-N-O-D-I-N.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. Today in the studio with me, I was super excited to have Massimiliano Magrini. Massimiliano is founder and managing partner of United Ventures, a multi-stage fund based in Milan and Rome, and investing in founders and startups from Basecamp to Summit. He is the author of Fuori da Gregge, Away from the Flock or Away from the Herd, where he explores the nature of startups and their relationship with large companies, the digital revolution and its consequences alongside the role of venture capital and inclusive and meritocratic organizations and systems. Prior to founding United, Massimiliano was country manager for Italy, at first for Alta Vista and then for Google. In today's episode, we talked about lots of investment in portals, but no one was watching, how search engines proved putting tech in the hands of consumers, but were never intended for the end user, why all markets outside of the US are exporters of technology, how changing attitudes to globalization are impacting the venture ecosystem, how you cannot be an island and that all ecosystems need to be connected, and why serendipity leads to innovation. Let's get into it. Massimiliano, it's great to have you in the studio with me. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Um, so we're going to start off with a bit of a quick fire, just so our audience get to know you a bit better. Um, so what was your first job? I was selling computer. Amazing. And what did you do before you got into the tech and venture ecosystem? Uh, actually, I spent quite a few years in the media industry. Okay, media? Traditional media. Okay. And what triggered your move into founding United Ventures? Well, actually, then I moved to the technology world, as you know, and uh, all of a sudden I realized that the next gig would be doing the investor side. I mean, there was such a lack of uh, VC in Europe that mm -hmm. I thought it was a great opportunity. Yeah, we're going to get into that. And what would you be doing if you hadn't have gotten into venture? That's a very nice question. Uh, I think I've always been very interested in the academic world, so mm -hmm. that would be an option. So teaching? Okay, amazing. And let's talk about United. Uh, for the audience, what's the AUM, what stages and verticals, what geographies, what check size? Of course, we, we manage uh, four funds, roughly half a billion under management. Mm -hmm. We do primarily early stage investing, technology sector. Uh, original thesis was Italian founder, global company. And then we, we reach out to European uh, founders to build global companies. Amazing. And what's your sort of check size? Check size goes from five to 10 million. Okay. And if you're talking about three companies from inside or outside your portfolio that you're excited about, which would those be? I mean, it's very easy to say that nowadays we are pretty much interested in what's going on in AI, reality of things. Uh, they, that interest goes back when I was working in search engine, but uh, offshore, Anthropic is a very interesting company itself. 
And uh, in our portfolio, we have a couple of companies which are very interesting. It's Xfarm, digitizing the agricultural sector, mm -hmm. and um, and Xane, which is uh, cybersecure for objects, okay. for IoT cybersecurity. Amazing. And uh, last question, Panettone or Pandoro? Panettone, of course. Okay, great. Massimiliano, again, great to have you here in the studio with me. Um, so look, you were studio, uh, country manager sorry, of Alta Vista in the early 2000s, and then country manager of Google for seven years, first setting up their operations in Italy, uh, and then taking responsibility for the whole of Southern Europe. So can you talk me through what that was like, hot off the tails of the dot-com boom, and being part of this incredible business that at the time you joined was only a few, few years old, right? It was founded in 1998. Uh, and how has that whole experience informed your view of the tech and venture ecosystem over time? Yeah, basically, I mean, if you look back, uh, search engine was still at the time uh, where everybody was excited about portals. Now, no, nowadays, nobody talks about portals. But back in the day, that was the poster child of investment. And then if you look at the numbers, most of the, the investment being made in portals was made for content that no, nobody was watching and nobody was paying for. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the number, the search engine were the ones that are, were driving the more usage and the more revenue into, into those kind of businesses. And so I decided to, to join AltaVista first and Google afterwards. And what basically search engine has proved is that they put technology in the end of consumers. And that basically that transform our whole industry because it's much easier uh, to use technology to find, uh, to find information over the internet. At the same time, you cannot leverage, you cannot uh, make those information available if you don't leverage the technology, which are the, which to date is still a, an artificial intelligence kind of technology itself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at search, I mean, the algorithms that, that search uses are so deep that, you know, it'd be hard to argue that there wasn't some form of AI going in there. Obviously, clearly there is. And, and talk me through, I mean, how has... How has that landscape changed and shifted, right? Because search engines in 2000 or in the 2000s are not the search engines of today. And of course, today we have backwards sort of image search. You have, you know, obviously voice search. You have all sorts of uh, uh, new kind of technologies that have built upon search. And of course, there's also, you know, a lot of people trying to reinvent search, right? Where uh, they feel that, you know, Google, for example, has too much of a monopoly or, um, you know, uh, it prioritizes uh, the wrong types of um, uh, or, or surfaces the wrong type of content potentially. And you see that with YouTube, Google, and various others. How, like, how do you think that whole mechanism has changed over time? Well, that's very interesting thing. So, so, so if you look back at the time, search engine was not really a destination for end user, where a software platform being sold to third party. Mm -hmm. So there are, I think, uh, five to 10 companies that were sitting uh, on those kind of technology, but they didn't figure it out how to bring that technology into the market. So they were licensing it. And basically they were not a very successful company. The first one was AltaVista to, be, to become like a, an end user destination for search. And then Google came along with an innovative technology and all the experience was built on, on, on the search experience and also the business model was built on the search mm. uh, experience. Yeah, I think it's still, what, 70% of their revenues or something even today, if still, not more. Still yeah. there. Still yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Um, so look, you also, you talk about the US being a country of consolidators, whilst in Europe, your only option is the IPO. Can you talk me through that rationale 
and also why we need to stay away from the narrative of unicorns, which it seems like in 2024, we may actually be beginning to, uh, to become more accepted wisdom amongst allocators and startups alike. What, what, what are your views on, on that whole issue? Yeah, first and foremost, I mean, I think that uh, the U.S. are capitalizing on the fact that they have this big corporation that has been able to digitize a very important piece of the economy. And they act like a magnet for talent and for other corporations. So they are the consolidators of the innovation going on. Mm -hmm. And all the other markets are basically exporters of the technology mm. because the biggest uh, goal for those technology, for, for the startups, are to end up being acquired for those companies. And so that is where the disparity is because at the end of the day, if you are building a technology that go, needs to go into the market, you need an organization that can leverage that. And in order to, to leverage that, you need to have the scale. And there are very few companies which are not U.S. who has that scale. Yeah. I mean, so this is a question and, and a topic that's come up, come up a lot recently with a lot of the guests I've had on, uh, several of whom have been from Italy, several uh, in, in Europe in general. What is it that is stopping that sort of level of scale in the European ecosystem? Uh, the point is that if you look back, all those consolidators, they, they were born like a startups who became big corporations. Mm. You cannot expect traditional big corporation to be attracted to startups mm. because the cultural model is totally different. Yeah. So you need to be able to understand the playbook mm -hmm. and to be able to attract the talent. Mm -hmm. Most probably if you end up in a large organization in Europe, you're going to be killed in the terms of spirit and DNA of innovation that you are trying to bring in. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge is to make sure that some of the, those companies become the consolidators. Got it. So they can become the magnet of other companies mm -hmm. and other talent. Mm -hmm. But the problem here in Europe, I guess, is those larger conglomerates or corporates tend to be from sectors that are traditionally quite kind of uh, traditional, traditional yeah. adverse. So they're manufacturing or maybe finance, that's, banking, etc. That's what right? it is. Right. So, so, so how do you think we break out of that? I mean, does it require building a Google in in Europe, for example, that that can sort of take that trend forward, or, or is there another way? Yeah, first and foremost, Rome was not built in one day. Yeah, of course. So it, it, <laughs> it takes time to build those kind of uh, things. But at the same time, we need to understand what the playbook is. Yeah. In order to get there, to have the consolidator, you have a, to have a full-blown ecosystem. Mm. Early-stage investor, growth investors, mm. uh, all aligned in a sort of mindset which is empowering innovation to, 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 force, to, be, to be started and to be fostered. Mm. And that is, I think, the limited fact that we have right now. I think we are at a deflection point. So I think I'm positive. I'm still very positive. When we started 10 years ago, there was almost no venture capital in Europe. Yeah. And I think now some of the most interesting things are coming out of Europe. Mm. The challenge is the one we were talking about. How to make sure that Europe gets some of this technology being built and can build the aggregator consolidator of the technology. Because even if you go public, I mean... If you go public very early, most probably the capitalization you're going to be able to get is not as much big that allow you to attract additional talent, talent attract additional fundraising. So that's the, the, the problem we are facing right now. But I'm very positive. If you look back, we have come a long way. Yeah, so this issue has come up again quite a few times, I think. And we talk about it typically in terms of there is a lack of late-stage funding, so lack of kind of growth capital post-Series B, C uh, in Europe generally. And then uh, the IPO market is less mature 
or, or maybe more conservative, let's say, than say in the US, which means that European, UK European startups automatically will look at the US for expansion and for exit, both because they have the allocate, uh, the sorry, the aggregators and and uh, uh, the consolidators, as you call them, as well as the opportunity to exit for a higher valuation via an IPO than they would necessarily in the, in, in in Europe, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, touching base on on the the growth problem. I mean, there's no lack of growth player in terms of private equity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But most of the time, the growth player are private equity oriented, so they are looking for profitability and stuff like that. There are no growth venture oriented players. Yeah. That is what is missing. Yeah. Because there are a bunch of growth players on very PA oriented that are looking profitability, EBITDA, but this is not the the venture play. Yeah, and and this is this is I think this comes back to what we were saying about the kind of conservatism and also the traditional style of business. Because again, private equity was invented in Italy, in Europe. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, we have a long history, three four hundred years of understanding how private equity works. Venture capital really grew out of the U.S. in the sixties uh, and so on, and it feels like we are maybe. 20, 30 years behind the US in terms of our, our kind of ability to, to grasp the opportunity that venture capital comes. I mean, actually, interestingly, as a complete aside, uh, at the moment here in the UK, there is legislation being passed that will uh, uh, change the dynamic for angel investors, whereby they're lifting the uh, the, the the sort of income cap from 100,000 to 170,000, which pushes a lot of, say, uh, female or ethnic minority investors who typically will have lower salaries, et cetera. So it pushes them, it, it forces them out of the market. So now at the earlier stages, we see capital gaps potentially going to arise as well. So I think there is a, you know, there is this, this issue in Europe where there is a lack of understanding, even at, at the kind of governmental level, uh, about how venture works. Uh, and that feeds through the entire ecosystem or, or provides challenges through the whole, whole ecosystem. Um, and obviously Europe has has done, I, I think, not done similar things, but you know, it, it has similar challenges as well. Um, do you think there is a mismatch be between kind of maybe policy as well as, as, as well as the private capital? Hey guys, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to introduce you to our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Emerge One. Emerge One CFOs partner with VC-backed founders from C to Series B to manage and raise capital and plan how it should be deployed, controlling cash so that they can do what they do best to scale strategically. You can find them at emergeone.co.uk. That's E-M-E-R-G-E-O-N-E.co.uk. Okay, let's get back to the episode. I mean, if you look uh, at the overall picture, I mean, we are Europe is not behind in terms of legislation. Whenever there is innovation, the first continent to push for a legislation is Europe. Mm. Also for a good reason. Look at data, look at AI. Mm. And, and, and the other way around is in the US. They free the animal spirits, they break things, they let company uh, experiment, and eventually they, they um, legislate afterwards. There are pros and cons on both of the approach. Sure. Uh, I would say an hybrid but approach would be the best of the world, of course, difficult to do, yeah. easy to say. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, I think overall that venture capital is an asset class for institutional investors. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I would agree. And I think that there, there is, well, I would agree to an extent. We've had conversations in the past with some of our guests where, you know, some of whom have said, 
uh, say, investing under the tax efficient schemes here in the UK actually doesn't necessarily lead to venture style outcomes. In fact, if anything, it can be a bit of a blocker. But actually, carrying on this point, you were part of the task force that was appointed in 2012 by the Italian government to support the drafting of new legislation to support innovation and startups. But the world has changed a great deal since then, right? Including shifting attitudes to globalization. So I'd love to get your perspective on where we are today and what it means in terms of fostering the ecosystem beyond what we just talked about. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting. If you look back four years ago, the the, the, echo, the, the, the picture was totally different. Mm. So the, the American capital were pouring into China and India. Yeah. Now that is not anymore the case. Yeah, and Sequoia pulled out altogether. Yeah, they had to yeah. pull out. Mm. And, and now some of this has been um, redeployed in Europe, for instance. Mm. And so the dynamic of the cooperation between US and Europe is eventually has to become stronger mm -hmm. for also geopolitical reasons. Mm -hmm. So reshoring of supply chains, mm -hmm. chipset uh, reshoring, those are strong driver of reshaping the uh, technology uh, landscape in, in, in Europe and in the US as well. So how do we make sure that the two um, ecosystems work seamlessly together under harmonized legislation and under harmonized culture and best practices? I think this is the, 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 the main point. At the same time, we need to make sure that institutional investors feel the need of accessing this, this industry. If you look at pension funds, for instance, across mm. Europe, mm. they are underinvested in the asset class. And this asset class is for them because the time period of a fund is 10 years. So you need to wait 10 years before getting the returns. At the same time, they need to have those long horizon in terms of uh, returns. So it's, there's a perfectly match. Yeah. I think there the legislation uh, has a great role of uh, involving and supporting the transition for those investors from traditional asset allocation to venture allocation. Yeah, we've seen that in the UK and the, the pension cap was slightly lifted and you know one would hope that that is going to uh, lead to more pension fund investment in, in, in venture funds, nowhere near kind of the levels that, that the US has. And, you know, I think there is data around the sort of returns that the endowments at Harvard yeah. and various others have made, which, you know, a lot of those, uh, a lot of the significant returns have been made through uh, investing in the venture asset class. I'd love to understand from you how it was working with the Italian government, um, because, and I've said this on this podcast uh, a few times, I obviously, I have a bit of an affinity for for Italy with with my wife being from Tuscany. Um, but it's always struck me that the, the ecosystem in Italy has always been maybe a few steps behind certainly the UK, but even France and Germany and so on. Um, do you think that in Italy specifically, there is a strong, uh, a, a strong sort of uh, edge of innovation? Is the government fostering that sort of uh, belief? And, and again, yes, 2012 was, you know, a, over a decade ago. So I'm sure things may have changed. But yeah, I, I'd love to get your impressions on, on how it is in Italy specifically. Yeah, it's funny because the reason why Italy is behind the rest of Europe is that it's the country where they started investing the most during the, the 2000 mm -hmm. and were the first one to have a full window of 10 years of not investing just because of the disillusion of being over-invested in 2000. We still meet people who invested back in the 2000 and we are still scared of reassessing the industry. So they, so they essentially got caught out in the dot-com dot boot. So it's a exactly. bit like in 2008 when the markets crashed, everyone went full risk off, people Pull off. absolutely feared kind of going back into the markets and then lost 
the opportunity to see those great returns that happen over the next 10 years. That's exactly the point. And so the government, the point of the government was to make sure to remove all the obstacles mm. of startup being started in Italy. Mm. Back then, everybody was coming with a, a corporation incorporated either in the US or in Switzerland. This is not anymore the case mm. because the legislation has been uh, reshaping a way that now it's comfortable to start in Italy. Mm -hmm. And so the message also was very important because if the government says that it's good to do something like that, people start rethinking there was a, a positive framework around investing in, in venture capital. Mm. Uh, and that kicked off all the, all the movement. And now I think Italy is one of, it's pretty much in line with the other country. I think in terms of uh, startup being created, we are fifth or sixth in Europe, sure. something like that. Yeah. And my point is that even assuming that we are not as lower than higher in terms of uh, entrepreneurial in technology other than the other country, I think we still own our own shares of, of, of uh, innovative country being created. Mm -hmm. And so my point is that we need to have uh, the uh, uh, amount of capital available for those companies, mm -hmm. exactly like in the other country. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there is no reason why we need to be undercapitalized. That, yeah. that, that, that topic, I, I just don't buy it. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think it always comes down to, I always think about the ecosystem as, as really a, two forces driving it, right? Access to capital, access to talent. And from what you're saying, it sounds like the capital aspect in Italy has been what, what has uh, caused it to kind of fall behind a little bit. Would you say that talent in Italy and elsewhere in Europe for that matter is is strong? And do you think we have the sort of class of entrepreneurs that can create these transformational businesses in Europe? I think we have our own stock of, of talent that most of the time used to fly elsewhere mm. to be capitalized in technology mm. because there was not enough... Uh, uh, ecosystem there, yeah. which is not the case anymore. So people are coming back. We are hiring more and more people go, go coming back to Italy after an experience uh, abroad, which mm -hmm. is totally good. And I don't believe in national design ecosystem. I think that all those national design ecosystem needs to be connected together. Yeah, That's what it has to be. It doesn't work to be an island. It works to be connected with the other countries. In, uh, in geopolitical framework where you can share the... the the, the cultural element, the, the economic element, the, the, the talent element, everything combined that can bring the, the ecosystem to the next level. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah. And, and I guess, I mean, the reality is, you know, innovation fosters innovation, right? So, so those entrepreneurs that go to Silicon Valley and then come back, bring some of the methodologies, some of the learnings, potentially some of the capital, some of the talent. You know, I know lots of people that would love to live in Italy for argument's sake, um, and but maybe think of it in, in that way that, okay, maybe there isn't that ecosystem, but if they go to hubs like Milan, maybe they'll find them, right? I mean, I think Milan, and in fact, it was interestingly, when I was talking to Antonio Avitabile from Sony, you know, he, he had mentioned to me that there was something in the deep tech space being built in Pisa. I would have never thought of it. You know, we, we land in Pisa uh, and then drive up the coast to, to, to my wife's place. Um, but I, I would never expect or I would have never thought as Pisa as being sort of a hub for deep tech. Right. So uh, I think it's also uh, it's also perceptions that, that that probably need to be changed and even and, and internal perceptions as well, because I think when you talk to populations in some of these countries, and even here in the UK as an example, outside of London, where obviously we talk a lot about the tech ecosystem in London, but outside of London, 
yeah, it's a bit more remote for people. It's a bit, you know, it's 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 not as uh, it, it's it's not as tangent. It, it's quite tangential. It's not as uh, immediate in in terms of their day to day lives. So I think also spreading that message that you know Italy is open for business, Europe is open for business, is really important. Yeah, I think you just need to, just need to do it. I mean, that's what it is. I mean. Uh, if you look back, uh, um, the first uh, PC was built in Italy by Olivetti, and nobody knows that. No, and I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's like that. I, but I don't want, I don't think that we have overestimate. Um, you just we just need to think that we have our own share of innovative entrepreneur mm -hmm. willing to build global company out of Italy. That's what we need to to think, and we need the share of venture capital availability to be in line with that. Yeah. That that's what I think. And we are still pretty behind some of our peers, European peers. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean And I see that as an opportunity. Yeah, it is, right? Because if you can if you can bring the capital to bear, then actually you'll see you'll see that ecosystem flourish, right? And we are enjoying like a very good position right now because and the market is more and more recognizing that the company coming out of it are pretty good. Yeah. Amazing. So you wrote Forida Gregge. Uh, as an exploration of the conversations, relations, and thoughts you've had around innovation. What are the main lessons that you want your readers to take from the book? And how much has changed since you first wrote it in 2018, which feels like a, a, you know, a lifetime ago? And finally, yeah. how does the book help understand the real DNA of a technology founder? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the book is short, but very intense. So there is a lot of contents there. Uh, first and foremost is the concept of serendipity. Mm -hmm. So innovation is is uh, diversely of what has been thought in Europe for quite a long time is not that top-down approach. Mm -hmm. You need to have a free room for people inventing things out of the blue. Mm -hmm. Because if you overplan, then basically you don't get innovation. You get pianification, planification, which is not innovation. Yeah. And so that was the first point built around the book. And the, the hardest things to do for us as a VC investor is to identify the motivation of founders. Mm -hmm. And you really need to dig very deep into the personality to understand what is the driver of those people. Mm -hmm. And then the serendipity of the relationship between the founder and the investors. Mm -hmm. And it's a sort also of, um, I would say, uh, different definition of where we are going in terms of venture capital because we are getting more and more specialized. But the more specialized we get in terms of uh, fund being deployed in super niche vertical, the less serendipity you leave for the entrepreneur. And this is not an investor game. This is a founder game. Mm -hmm. And we just need to empower those innovators and those founders. But it's up to tell them to tell us where they want to go mm -hmm. and us supporting them other than the other way around. Which has been, and, and I think what's interesting there is, you know, over the last four or five years, we've we've seen these sort of cults, cults of the founder, cults, uh, cult of the VC, right? And then we had this sort of free-flowing capital, almost capital as a weapon environment in, you know, 20, 2020, 2021, you know, maybe even a bit, bit earlier than that. Uh, and now sort of we've shifted back to, you know, uh, capital flowing to... Uh, ventures that have strong fundamentals, you you no longer can go out and raise money based off the back of a wild idea. Certainly here in the UK, maybe in the US, it's 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 gone, it's reverted back to to uh, to, to what it was a little bit. But I I think there's there's this constant jostling between 
is the capital important? Is the founder important? How do you get those that mix of things right? And I think there's also been a lot of uh, capital that's flown into the system from you know what a lot of people would call tourist uh, allocators, right? Whether that's VCs or LPs. Do you think that actually you know over the last couple of years where we've seen this pullback on all of these on all of these forces, do you think that that is going to be a positive? Uh, uh, have a positive impact and and will allow for I guess you know that DNA of the founder to shine and and therefore for the right capital to write the uh, to meet to, to find the right founders. Yeah, I think that uh, what's what's happened is that we try to to do in venture capital what what sometimes the capitalists are trying to do with the company just to scale the industry itself by mm. putting more money. Mm. That proved not to, to be working. Because you can inflate only certain verticals in, in that, that way, in particular consumer-related verticals. Yeah. In B2B, it's, it's very much, much more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very interesting question to see whether this industry is going to be scaling or not. Mm -hmm. I, I still think that uh, what cannot be scaled is the DNA of the people working in the industry, and for instance, the capability of being at ease and not frustrated by the imperfection of the companies. And if you borrow uh, talent from other industries, for instance, if you borrow talent from private equity, those guys are very smart, mm. but they get frustrated by the fact that those companies are not perfect. Yeah. And they are supposed not to be perfect for quite a long time. Yeah, They're chaotic. I, I, I think that's a really important point. I mean, like it's one... I've certainly talked about a lot, which is, you know, I, I often advise founders against bringing in, you know, someone from a consulting background in a, in a very early stage startup, right? If you're at series B, series C, where you have processes, systems, you have scale, you're growing, uh, and actually you need a bit of that, uh, um, you know, corporate structure within the organization. Yes, that, that may be a great time to bring in someone with those talents. But at the earlier stages, it's very difficult to implant someone who's worked as part of a, you know, as a small cog in a larger machine into what is essentially a very chaotic startup. And I think, you know, the other point that, that comes out of what you were just saying is that uh, you, you can't necessarily teach entrepreneurship. You can't necessarily teach a founder how to be a founder, right? It's very much often driven by something very personal, very deep-seated within that, per, uh, the, that founder's psyche as to why they've decided to, to go and launch a business and, and, you know, not just launch a business, but when we talk about founders, I guess what we're talking about is founders that are looking to transform a certain vertical or a certain wedge of life. Like to actually have the drive to do that takes a very individual type of person. It's not, it's, you know, it's not for, 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 for the faint of heart. You know, I don't think I could do it as an example. I'm not, I'm not driven in that way in the same way that maybe I might've been at, at the age of 20. So, so how, so I guess, you know, it, and maybe there is an answer to this question, but how do we, how do we encourage people to explore their understanding of what it means to take risk and, and build a business? Because I think that's the other thing in Europe and the UK where we, where we suffer compared to the US, where yeah. we have quite negative attitudes towards failure, especially, which means that you know, as we all know, entrepreneurship is nine nine parts failure and you know a lot of luck, right? So, uh, how do we encourage founders to to take that bet, right? It's it, there are two answers to your question. So, mm. first and foremost, you ask me why the experience I had in previously in my career at Google helped me in doing that, mm. and that's exactly the point. So, having started like a small startup, even Google was a small startup in two thousand, and sure. we were 
org- from an organizational standpoint, we were very clanky, even if you look from the outside. So having gone through all the stages of bringing in talent in an organization which is growing fast enough and hiring and firing, I think that was crucial to me to understand what are the paths that you have to go through from a startup to a large corp- a mid-sized corporation, then a large corporation, mm-hmm. then a public corporation, and it changed dramatically. So this is the one thing that uh, of my experience that I'm ready to to put at the table in the discussion with the founder. Yeah. If I were to only to understand what it meant to be a la- super large corporation, very process oriented, and I would have to deal with the early stage startup, I would ruin that. Mm. And so I think that is the point. So to leave room to the founder to do his own journey, but being there supporting him when it's necessary. Mm. And if it's not necessary, we, we don't have to Stand do up, it. Yeah. Don't overdo the, the playbook, the VC playbook, which is always a very strong statement I make to the people working with me. The second question is that how do we incentivize a culture of innovation and entrepreneurship? And this is a total different answer. And I do agree with you. We have cultural model by which we don't incentivize that. And it goes back to school, it goes back to the family or orientation, and, and a mindset that is, um, I would say, incentivizes guys to do something different mm-hmm. and not to apply to the framework. And so for the graduate was a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. So making sure that we teach people that is comfortable sometimes to get out of the framework. I think that, I, I think, I mean, this is a topic that I talk about a lot and I could talk about a lot. I think... I, I, actually, it's really interesting to, to 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 kind of talk about it for a second. At the moment, I have a thirteen year thirteen uh, year old nephew uh, in Italy, so my wife's nephew in Italy. He is thirteen years old. He is being asked to choose between liceo artistico, so the artistic school, the science school, the languages school, and I'm sitting there saying, "How can this thirteen year old have any?" I mean, he wants to go and play football. He 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 doesn't know whether he wants to be an artist or or, or this or that. And you know, maybe he wants to be a a builder, or maybe he wants to be something else altogether. Who knows, right? But at the age of thirteen, he's being pushed down that path. And of course, in the UK, similarly with our GCSE and A level systems, we we push people down a certain path. I would argue that our education system here in Europe sets our kids up to become middle managers. Like it it, it really drives people into the direction of be a lawyer, an accountant, uh, you know, a, a, a doctor maybe. Um, but but essentially, you want to you be an average person, right? The, the, the right thing to do is go down that pathway where you have a job, you then build a career, you have a pension, and away you go. Uh, instead of allowing, I guess, our younger people and in in those individuals, f- you know, from a very young age up, to explore the massive variety of opportunity they potentially have. Would you agree? Is that is that something you see as well? I, I do agree, but I think that uh, um, I would say schools in Europe, though they have the capability of building the critical system of the person, which is very, extremely sure. important. So yeah. if you capitalize on the critical system and the intellectual, I would say, under, capability of understanding what's going on, that's a huge asset. Then on top of that, you need to give exposure to the kids to different cultures, yeah. different models, different attitudes, and I, I there is this debate uh, in Italy whether I, I bring I go I let my uh, children go to public school, Italian public school, or international school. And to me, the answer is both, mm. a little bit of both. Mm. I had all my children going through elementary, middle school in Italy, but they eventually they end up in international university, mm-hmm. and I'm just incentivizing them to do as many experiences as you want. 
Did they want to change sport? Let's do change the sport. You want to change the, your hobby? You want to go painting or writing? You do it because you, you need to, to test different things yeah. before you find the one that really inspire you. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And both my kids go to... Well, one of, my, one of my kids has graduated, but the but, but they have both been in an international school for the last, you know, at least the last decade plus. Uh, and and I think it is that experience and that breadth of experience, exactly as you say, that allows them to start thinking about, you know, what is important to them and what they're good at. I think that is the other really important thing, what they're great at doing and, and therefore where, you know, where they can move forward. Um, Massimiliano, it's been absolutely wonderful having you in the studio with me today. For our audience, where is the best place for them to find you online? You're on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Where can they find you? Uh, on Twitter, on for internet. sure. Or on, um, yeah, I would say Twitter. Twitter, amazing. Uh, what's your handle there? Massimag. Massimag. Okay, we'll share that in the show notes. For the time being, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you very much.